Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, uh, this is Aidan from Bridgend, South Wales. And you're listening to Dane Baptiste, Questions Everything. My question is, if there was a film of your life story, who would you want to play you? Here comes the show, and remember, question everything. Hello everybody and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast with myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! Pose the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from... Everything from Aidan from South Wales' question, who would play you in the movie of your life, Dane? Mm. Who's gonna? Who's playing you? I haven't even thought about it that much, but That's I imagine a tough one, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it depends on who it is. I suppose if they can, as long as they uh, do the research, it's fine. I feel like no one's really trying to mimic my voice these days, as it is. It's a weird comedic one, but I'd say I can't remember the name of the kid. He was in uh, Blue Story, so I'm just gonna say one of the kids from Blue Story or Shiro's mm. Story. Just a young brother like myself who's just uh, looking for a break. Yeah, I'd have to go. I'd have to go for Elijah Wood, Dane, because I good choice. Told, good I used choice. to be told that I look a bit like him. Obviously, I can listeners, see that. I can you see can't that. see my face, but uh, apparently, I used to look like him when I was. Younger. I can see I that. Get bigger hair. I'm not sure about the budget, so I kind of just throw names out there. Or maybe, the, <laughs> or maybe the, the guy that plays. Uh, oh, who's the kid now? He plays Tariq in Power. He could Ooh. play. He could yeah, play me. Yeah. He's yeah, still. I like that. He's still got his hair, so he could do the whole when I had waves face. So. <laughs> That'd be cool. We we ask all the questions. That's the point. We ask, all, we all, ask the all the questions. No holds back. And if you have a question, please do send it in. And if you do enjoy the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Or you can find us on Acast, the world's largest podcast network. Speaking of living large and in charge, today's guest is an inspirational figure in Black British culture. He had a long career in advertising, spending over 10 years in the industry, and now works in content strategy. On Father's Day 2018, changed his life when he created a WhatsApp group with all of the positive Black fathers that he knew. The ever-growing group, Dope Black Dads, has become a community of knowledge, sharing, and support. During Black History Month, the group took a leap and started a podcast, which is now available on BBC Sounds each week with, uh, you know, with over 150 contributors from around the world to represent the voice of black fathers on a wide range of topics. Also, he is one of the first people to ever put money in my hand for comedy. And I'm eternally grateful. Welcome to the show, Marvin Harrison. Thank you so much for me. That was the most beautiful. I, I was like, who are you talking about? For, for a while, I was like, who's that guy? Like, I write all the biogs. I write all the biogs, Marvin. And last night when I was sitting there just as my child was asleep, yeah, that was a nice one to write, mate. You, you're a great guy. It's an amazing story. Oh, this is all emotional. I came here to rip the fun out of everybody. And that- <laughs> you can do that. You can still do that. You can still do that. But now we've given you a base. We've given you an elevated platform that we can now start throwing stones at. So it's all good. It's all good. Can I, can I point out something? Howard looks like if the Halifax Howard was white, it would be you. <laughs> there you go. In fact, we are we are a fusion. So basically, Howard from Halifax is a fusion of me and Howard. And then if you separate us, like in the Dragon Ball Z style, it's me and Howard. That's basically what happened. We've never got him on the podcast. Is that something we could do? It might explode. We should. I want to see how he's doing because I feel like yeah. the uh, compared go compare guy still getting money. Why can't other Howard from Halifax still be getting money? That's a why, very good point. why hasn't he done? Why hasn't he done Big Brother? How come Brian <laughs> the robot is still getting work and whoever, the meerkats and all these other people? Like, can we get our icons in adverts, please? Yeah. Captain Birdseye next week, if anyone's interested. Oh, they, uh, we'll you, they changed him. Did you see what happened? They made him like this young dude, and then they made Mr. Muscle the strong person. I'm just like... They just made him into a woman, by the way. They basically... So, oh, uh, Captain Birdseye? Yeah, yeah, it's now a woman. About fair. Wow. That's about fair. Wow. That's a fair. I mean... <laughs> I, no, all the big things that are happening in the world right now, we just need a woman's Birdseye, and it will get much better, but I'm really happy for her. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's probably not going to be the most progressive change. I, I don't think uh, changing the gender of Captain Birdseye addresses the issue of overfishing, but, I mean, <laughs> that might be another conversation <laughs> for another time. I'm not saying it doesn't. I mean, it, respons- responsible fishing is, is, is the key here. Marvin, who would, uh, who would play the, you in a, in a film of your life? Who would play me? 
I think it would be either Malik Yoba, who's a bit too old. Um, so actually, just Michael B. Jordan. It's fine. We've got the same body. Fair. Right, okay. Fair. Just yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I was saying, I just, I just turned up my, my brightness to make sure that it was you, just to make sure, you know, that's <laughs> going around all the time, people getting confused. <laughs> but Marvin, I was, I, was say, I was saying to Howard before he came on the show is that, like, what many people might know before I arrived in this position, I had very humble beginnings uh, on, uh, with the Sunday show. And um, mm. I remember they obviously were, they were probably helped me steal my resolve more than anywhere else because it was always just a series of mishaps. Like, do you remember there was one time where, do you know John Hastings, who's now doing America's Got Talent? And it was mm. me and him, and we were at the Slug and Lettuce, and I think it was on uh, Wardour Street. Yeah. And I was downstairs, and it was going well. And he, John had a great one. And uh, I think I always like performing for you in Napa, because even though I may get a mixed response, you guys actually saw that I could write comedy and was funny, so you'd still book me for stuff. And just before I'm about to go on, a guy turns up and the guy's like, oh, do you mind if I get a few minutes? Like, that'd be cool. And you're like, sure, whatever. And the guy turns out to be Jay Farrow. <laughs> yes, it was. Oh, my gosh. I actually forgot. It was Jay Farrow. And uh, if people don't know, Jay Farrow is uh, a very talented comedian. He is a, an impressionist. Um, he's mostly recently in a film called Two Minutes of Fame with a star-studded cast and stuff. But yeah, it's like SNL as well. So he is like a stalwart of like, you know, comedy in general. And so and suffice wow. it to say, he shut it down and I had to follow that. So the response wow. was tepid. It, it, it kind of, basically what happened with Sunday Show is it was like a factory of performances. Absolutely. And if you were, if you were five minutes late or someone amazing was in, we just kind of just squeezed it all in. That's how it works, though. But that's how it works. It was it was not a problem thing. It, I mean, even in clubs in LA, like if someone shows up and wants to get some time, I was cool with it. It wasn't like, oh, I hate this guy. It was just like, oh, how the hell am I going to follow yeah. that? He was yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. Do you remember? And you know what happened another time I was at Slugger Letters? I don't know if it was the same time. Another time I was on stage and it was going well. I get up to start. Yeah. Usain Bolt is breaking the world record for the 100 meters for the first time ever. <laughs> Now, listen, I'm confident. I believe in my brand. I believe in my artwork. I continue to work on this this day. But I can't compete with the fastest man on the planet when he's breaking no the records. So literally no one cares. No one cares. Yeah, as soon gig. as he started, I just said, I just said one someone saying, Blood Clyde, look how fast him I go. Everyone turn around. And like, <laughs> even though and then I think you, you were like, Come on guys, can we just bring it back in? And it's like it's like basically when kids see a dog in a playground, but imagine if the dog is flying and on fire and the kid's like right tell on everybody let's get back to English theory and I'm like living in South London Sunday show was Sunday show was a monumental show Howard like I said it was a mixed bill show yeah. um, it's kind of gave platforms to like comics that you may know it's um, superstar comics like Mo Mo was the host of the uh, Sunday show for years and stuff yeah. and again I, I really feel like you know, when I have this conversations about Mo and stuff like that, and people are like, did he come out of nowhere? I'm like, he did not come out of nowhere. This has been definitely not yeah. work. And this, you know, this is a guy who, um, yeah, hosted a mixed bill show. He made it work to like, even though the support that Mo got very early on when his stuff went viral was because he had a relationship with a lot of the guys from the music community uh, very early mm -hmm. on, man. And uh, yeah, Sunday show for me. Also, one of the worst bombs I ever had. I want to tell these stories because. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> another one was when we remember. I want to say. Um, Oh, I can't remember the, the venue, but it was uh, it was in Farringdon. Yeah, yeah, Clarkenwell House. Clarkenwell House, and um, I had another gig, and it was just after Obama got elected president. <laughs> and uh, all the major milestones, all the yeah, all the major milestones. I don't know Do why. You only gig when big things are happening, Dave. Was this right? your career? Plan? I'm a short, so I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm in spirit, but I'm. It, that was my fault that time. I made it. I made the schoolboy error of trying to write new material and topical material, which is not always a bad thing, but I probably didn't have the experience to fall back on material if it didn't work. So when it didn't yeah. land, it was like, and if Clerkenwell House, the way it, people have to understand, the, 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 the door is at the opposite end of the stage and all the crowd fills in there. So when you bomb, you have to even walk through this crowd. But I'm sitting there with the artists, so I have to go and sit down with all the other artists after bombing spectacularly. And... Like that bomb was like I. It was like standing in a puddle of my own urine for the rest of the night. <laughs> but I think that basically, in fact, it went so badly. Another guy came on stage to start a cussing match with me because it was going so terribly. Oh and I guess yeah. he thought that he would finally bury me. But it was kind of like the crowd were already because and you learned this. I didn't learn because I hadn't studied like any stagecraft and stuff. And then the crowd were kind of like, well, now it's even worse. Now it's become a beef and it's doing terribly. And you realize like they don't, they don't hate me, but it's like it's going bad and it's awkward for everyone. And the guy's like, hey, let me just show you how it's done. And then he does terribly, and I'm like, ugh. But it definitely, <laughs> but it definitely, I learned a lot very quickly from doing those gigs. 
It's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the format dictates? Absolutely. Now I've, now I've uh, had that catharsis. Uh, Marvin, as our esteemed guest, uh, we invite you to ask the first question, which we'd like to discuss for 15 minutes and some change. Then Howard will ask a question and we'll do the same. And then Lazarus repeat, I do the same. And then we all walk back out into the gates of hell because it is one of the hottest days on record as we record, guys. Ooh. I think we are just in hell. This is what this is. The mouth is open. Um, so my question has changed though, because originally it was going to be something quite light, but then I realised Howard is a is a black Jew, and so I wanted to ask him a question. Okay, how do we all get along, Howard? How do we all get along? And what's the path back into the central society for William Cowie? Wow. Now I, I want to ask one question before we begin, which is. Um, what was the light one that you were going to ask? <laughs> I'm happy to talk while Arsenal win the league next year. No, no, they won't. No, that's fine. Moving on. That's more depressing in yeah, some ways. Yeah, that's kind of tough as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so just so uh, listeners, you know, know, obviously we're talking about Wiley. Um, and uh, we did talk about him, him last a uh, couple of weeks ago. Um, but um, it's, it's definitely worth flagging up again. But it has definitely created some divides, right? There's... There's been some repercussions online. I don't know if, uh, I'm a, uh, Dane, I don't know if you want to talk about some of those repercussions because th- there's been knock-on effects from what he did, how he was then treated, and then the, the kind of a interpretation of how he's been treated and, and how other people are treated in the same way, right? Yeah, I mean, that's been the kind of been the overarching narrative has been that, like, uh, and not for me to uh, hijack the narrative of the uh, diaspora in this country, but... There's not really been a lot of people that have had solidarity with Wiley's comments. And uh, it's not really been, I mean, there have been some, but for the as a whole, there's never been anyone being like, well, he makes sense what he's saying. Because those that know Wiley prior to this know that he is he has a penchant for like attacking people at random and going on these rants. And we've kind of learned how to kind of deal with that. Um, I think what has been the main point of conversation has been more the iniquity in uh Reprimand where Wiley's concerned, um, for those that are unaware. So following uh, Wiley's anti-Semitic comments over the last two weeks, um, he has now had platforms removed from Instagram and Facebook and has also had his uh, YouTube account shut down, uh, which has stopped his videos from being streamed on YouTube. And this has further polarised people into thinking, well, this has proved his point uh, about, you know, which we all know is very uh, anti-Semitic, but about his point about... Uh, control of the media and there's been more talk about the fact that you know treatment of uh, black britons or black people in general is very different for any kind of uh, language interpreted as hate speech more specifically examples of katie hopkins who still has a platform on youtube and is still making uh xenophobic and anti-immigrant uh comments uh very acerbic ones oh, you can go on facebook and find a, a vast selection of a very far-right you know ultimately racist prejudiced people yeah. broadcasting absolutely right? also i mean even today nigel farage tweeted a video i suppose i suppose the alarmist video but more of a white supremacy uh dog whistle of a video about uh asylum seekers arriving on the coast of kent here as well and um also his his um dismay at the fact that uh liverpool football club have offered uh tours of their stadium to asylum seekers and he's been like What's going to be next? Do we start giving them water and medication and treating them like human beings? Where's this world going? Um, he has been met with uh, equal backlash for it. But yeah, it's... Um... It's a tough one in terms of how to do, do, do the divide you're talking about, Marvin. It feels to me that, that, that for three intelligent people in this podcast right now, that there's a, you know, that, that, that there's a hope that mediums like podcasting and, and I always talk to Dane about democratised media, which is what this era we've been in where can the conversation push things to a point where maybe we go past some of the stuff that we don't need to be focusing on. That's my hope. And, uh, you know, maybe the, this episode will do that partly today. Uh, I yeah, think I so. Think so. Let's, let's heal on behalf. Should we do some sort of ritual together where we can heal <laughs> our communities on behalf of the divide that has been created by others? I mean, I'd be all up for it. Well, okay. <laughs> we're, 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 <laughs> we're all holding our hands in yeah, some kind of digital the, hug on, right on, now, on, listeners. On this day, the Sabbath is the best day to do it. <laughs> we are recording on it's Shabbat very soon. They're going to turn the lights off here. Um, but the uh, 
but the, the, the thing the thing that I just just to kind of give me give one thing that I, I always bring up in conversations because you know we live in this era where people are divided right or even if you're not divided when you start to communicate with people about an issue or a problem or something that you might have difference of opinions or difference of experiences that's one of the key components I always look at in these conversations is do you understand the world that I'm coming from and um, with you know kind of the Jewish population you know I think people can understand there's a lot of us still remember what happened in, in the Second World War. It's very difficult for a lot of people to move on because their families experience something that is unfathomable, really, isn't it? And, and I think that, that, that to, just for people to try, if we're going to you know, bridge these gaps between people, it's just to try and remember who your enemy is. Because I can tell you who my enemy is. Nigel Farage is my enemy. And listen, Marvin, if we talk for the next hour and if I at any point said something in regard to your life, your work, your culture that was uh, ignorant, I apologise for my ignorance because it isn't from a place of wanting to be offended, you know, wanting to lash out to people and be like, oh, I don't like your culture. It's more that just not everyone has the same experiences and so these misunderstandings can happen and I think those misunderstandings can help, if we can start kind of moving on from them, maybe help people resolve some of these problems. Well, yeah, I think that's a good point and following from that point, I think, uh, again, where these conversations kind of take place or the paradigms in which the conversation in terms of Afro-Jewish unity at least takes place is that, um, you know, like you said, Howard, people in living memory still remember an unfathomable uh, atrocity being committed against them, which is, you know, basically by definition genocide. And I think uh, what a bigger part, biggest part of the narrative is that like, if there's one group of people that know what that's like, Mm. Yeah, and I, and I, yeah, and I think there's always been that kind of mutuality or uh, or shared experience of discrimination and orchestrated or systematic uh, genocide and oppression, which I think always draws the confusion uh, for some black people if they feel that uh, members of the Jewish community opt for whiteness and uh, engage in any kind of anti-black narratives, and uh, I guess to a large extent uh, for those who may be uninformed or people who speak about their own lived experiences, is is there a is there is that exploitation exploitation of black people take place at the hands of the Jewish community and obviously we know the short answer of that is no but I feel like it's uh, like you said it's knowing who your enemy is doesn't mean there won't be someone who does yeah, I'm sure doesn't there will, mean there won't be but, someone but by who that does, same yeah. token you know the issue is is that um, it's that it's this that people make it synonymous with Judaism as a faith or even as a uh, an ethno religion so to speak so I think, uh, yeah, what needs to definitely happen is that dialogue where we are discussing our experiences. And I feel like sometimes we need to be reminded that even a lot of time when we are hearing alt-right or a white supremacist rhetoric, it includes both parties. And it's just, yeah, and it's a strange thing like where we've seen like schisms forming from the Jewish community and the Labour Party, where we know that, you know, mm. a large amount of even the more affluent members of the Jewish community identify with Labour. Um, like I said, uh, almost, I guess... Culturally, um, like I said, as we discussed last week, Howard is about doing what's right and uh, egalitarian ideology like socialism and Marxism or communism mm -hmm. have their origins with uh, Jewish thinkers and stuff as well. Uh, and so, yeah, there's always been this ongoing mutuality which seems to have been splintered and, and maybe it has been, that divide has been encouraged for the sake of conquest of both parties. Because for me, I feel like there's nothing about BLM that Jewish people shouldn't be equally alarmed at because in our protests, we are also protesting, you know, marches with tiki torches where we hear people shouting, Jews will not replace us in Charlottesville. We're also marching about, you know, the fact that, like, in living memory, like, the last most deadly massacre committed in Western Europe since the World War was Anders Breivik in Norway mm. killing a bunch of Jewish kids, uh, intended to kill a bunch of, as well as uh, synagogues being recently shot up as recently as, like, last year. And the thing that Dane, uh, as listeners will know, uh, there's probably a, a, you know, a gospel according to Dane that has happened on this show. If you go through all 70 episodes or so, you'll find golden quotes from Dane. And one of them happened the other week where he said, if your opinions are in line with Nazis, you might want to start thinking about what your opinions you've got. Yeah. And that is uh, uh, as, as simple as... But Marvin, can I ask you how you felt about it? What, what have your, has your take been on these last couple of weeks? It's been interesting because as a, a leader of... Well, don't say a leader, but... A leader. A leader. You can say leader. You're a leader. Well, I'm mate. not a leader. I'm a community but, leader. Yeah. I'm not a leader. By, by example, people. that's the only way you're supposed to lead anyway. So, you know. Yeah. So as a community leader, um, there's an element of being mindful that we can't extinguish human beings from all walks of life. It doesn't work. While he still exists, he's still a human being. 
He still creates. He still, he may not be able to do things on particular platforms, but he exists. And I think if we push it too far, then you push people into a corner in a way that forces them to become the thing that you think they are. And I think that he's said anti-Semitic things, and actually he probably is anti-Semitic, well, by definition he is. My concern is, though, is that everyone needs a road to redemption. And, I, and I'm not sure where the road to redemption lies right now. And I feel like I've heard other things that are potentially being pushed um, to minimise his ability to, uh, to make money or to provide for his family or to, to communicate his art. Um, and, it, and those things have a limitation. And, and it's the same, like, uh, right now, we talk about the Conservative Party. They're pushing black people in such an aggressive way that actually there's a point where black people are like, you know what? I won't even mess with you, even if messing with you benefits me. Like that is going to get that personal where people don't even want anything to do with it. And I feel like you've got to be very clear about your lines, which I think it has been. And I think everyone, a lot of people have learned a lot from this, like what's workable to be said and what's not. What I think is now a little bit concerning is there is no road to redemption. Because yeah. cancel culture, right? Cancel well, culture. Ca- cancel culture doesn't exist because cancel culture is about people yelling on on Twitter saying you're cancelled without any form of like ability to uphold the cancellation. But when we're talking about people who are working with businesses, lobbying for businesses, and being very clear, I think that is for me where actually Wiley could find himself without a road back. But my concern is is that that's unworkable as a solution um, for anybody. I, I don't I don't want Katie Hopkins to be like you can't feed your kids because then what would you have to do? Yeah, although that being said, she can't even feed her kids. So that even shows you she can't, she can't because she's ba- that's because she's bankrupt because of the, 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 the narrative. But yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying yeah. is that. But, but, but all, all will happen is she'll just dial up the hate and some, wherever, whoever will platform her, she'll say more outlandish things, stoke up more divide. And I think actually, I liked it when I felt like maybe eight to 10 years ago, there was like a middle. I'm a little bit right wing on some things. I'm a little bit left wing on some things. I might have some straight ideas, but like someone will bring me back to the middle. And I think now everyone's kind of vacated the middle and drawn lines, these imaginary lines. But it only happens online. It only happens around these sort of debate programs because I didn't know Howard. And, you know, Howard seems like a really nice guy, but I know we can Thanks, sit back and sit down with Howard and, and have like a three hour conversation about children. That's like a universal connector. And no matter mm. where I go, and that's before knowing his political ties, and wherever I go, there are some just some truths that are just like connected us. And that, that's where certain things now, and, and you know, like I, I think it, it's fair to say I, I, I lean to the left, but what that is anymore is very complicated to describe. I'm not left enough for the left. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm not left Although, enough for the left. We should who, start a party. I know, but who, who, who gets to decide that? It's like, and it's like, it's like Marvin said. It's become so splintered, and I think as we've tried to contextualize our existence along these lines of identity politics that we've yeah made all of our grouping so much more rigid because we do it along these quantitative lines of the internet and algorithms and i think that's been a big part of it is that human beings and how we work is we're not at a stage technology's not advanced enough to work out an algorithm for who we are but what you tend to find yeah. is that at the same time we are we're very clearly open to suggestion because I think, as you said, Marvin, if there's no road to redemption, that's the issue is that whether or not you agree with what Wiley says, him not having the opportunity to observe his mistakes and learn accordingly is a uh, chose a kind of iniquity because A, there's a risk, like you said, of him being able to galvanize a lot more hardline anti Semites who will support his platform. And B, it's in this instance, people might think it's justified. But then when does it stop when we can start? demonetizing people's platforms and removing them from platforms and i've always made a point of principle that rather than and sometimes it is to, it is to my detriment as well is that rather than block or muting people who hold or spout these views i openly challenge them on social media because i just want to be in that practice of being able to challenge people in real life as well or if we have dialogue if someone's ideas are aggressive and completely against my own i can still openly engage them to either deconstruct their ideas or you know to kind of dissect their ideas or to see, you know, if they can elaborate on those ideas as well. And I think, yeah, the whole thing with Wiley is that, again, it shows the potential folly that comes with people trying to articulate their viewpoint in 280 characters. And what you yeah. don't necessarily want is for us to get to this point. But A, we're speaking in Newspeak where we give these half-truths and these half-sentences about who we are and show these very uh, narrow dimensions of who we are as people. But the main thing will be, and this is my worry, is that, you know, at first they'll justify it with these figures of hate then it'll be people that they consider to be dissenters and start removing them from platforms. And then it's, 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 and 
and I guess the uh, real issue is that this might be one of the first instances we've seen someone who has been punished for freedom of speech, however regressive mm-hmm. or however hateful it is, and we don't agree with it. But rather than challenging his perceptions, we've just, as you said, we've muffled them. And sometimes, especially with music or even with, you know, with youth culture, the more someone's oppressed, the more of a voyeuristic kind of charm they're going to try to attract. You know, that's the thing. Well, yeah. we, we we can have him on the show. Very happy to have, have Wiley on the show. If oh, me too. I'm not sure how easy he is to get, he probably get hold of him. But, but the thing is, I think, I think what we <laughs> yeah, is to give, we, we just have to apply a certain level of, of emotional intelligence to any scenario. Um, and, and I think the key thing is, yes, let's draw the line on anti-Semitism. I think that's hugely important. And actually, the more I look into it, the more I see how flippantly the language that is used against the Jewish community and, and, it, and, it, and it is extremely problematic. It's, mass- it's massively right. I do have to say that because I didn't even realise the sentiment until I was around other British white people. I didn't, yeah. I, because my because you know, from our perception, we are always seen as, you know, the at the quantum of hatred for like white supremacy, especially in this country. Yeah. I didn't know. I wasn't aware. And very flippantly, did I hear so many refer- anti-Semitic references where it'd be a, a, someone, a colleague of mine and someone referenced that and make a light point to their nose or to a yeah, yeah, individual. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's, it's massively rife. Let me tell you, let me tell you, if people don't like how many Jewish people are in positions of power, then you shouldn't keep telling us that we're so obsessed with money because it definitely fucking motivates us (laughs) when you start making points about whether we're up to this or that. It definitely makes us go, fuck you. But it's not a hard thing to rationalise. Yeah, exactly, Howard. It's not a hard thing to rationalise. If everyone's like, you're greedy and blah, blah, blah. Well, last time I checked, money makes your whole fucking society go round. So if money is able Hmm. to afford me a certain level of privilege, like, you know, not being on a train to a concentration camp, then I'd probably make a lot of it. Like, there's a, there's a mm-hmm. lot about, you know, uh, well, I'd say, I guess it'd be a Jewish ideological disposition, but then to a separate extent, Zionist, you, you, can, you can understand it. So, Sure, and you're getting into capitalism, you're getting into politics, and in the end, there's a massive gaping chasm between that and racial, ethnic uh, generalisations, which is what has caused this moment with Wiley. But, um, okay. I mean, we could talk about this one all day, eh? Let me say bye to Wiley and, and then we'll give him a road to redemption. Someone will send us an email as to how we do it. Yeah, right. We want him on the show, that's for sure. And, and you know what? I come in with an open mind, as I'm sure everyone who listens to the show would. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a different question because of, you know, partly because of our guest, but also partly because I've heard Dane talk about his parents, um, you know, in the past. Um, we have the founder of, of Dope Black Dads as our guest today. It's an amazing organisation. You guys should, you know, kind of find out what you can. And and I've recently become a dad, Marvin, uh, 11 weeks ago, as, as, as listeners know. It um, Yeah, it's quite something, isn't it? Fucking hell. Uh, <laughs> it's, like having a, it's like having a really big project that just doesn't seem to end at any point. And it costs um, you a lot of money and doesn't allow you to sleep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> great, great <project. laughs> all, all consuming, all consuming project, all consuming. To yeah. be fair, I've had some TV shows like that as well, but that's another story for another time. But the question I was going to put to you guys is, you know, uh, I may have mentioned it to listeners in the past or, or Dane in the past, you know, m- my dad passed away uh, many years ago now and uh, kind of being a dad has made me think about how good a job I'm going to do. Um, and it made me think about my memories of my father, as you should mm. when you're holding this person and it's vomiting on you. It's <laughs> it's a whole new uh, set of experiences. So to ask you guys, what are, what are the some of your fondest memories of your dads? And and I say that because often people will say advice, and I always think that's a huge pressure. Sometimes I think it's just nice to remember uh, remember the good things, right? Well, for me, my my dad. Um we entered my life when I might have been like nine, ten years old. Um, and then he came and I remember him knocking on my mum's door. Um, and I didn't know who, who it was, but he knocked on the door. There was like a whisper by my older brother and sister. They ran in the house, got my mum. My mum went outside. She was at the door for like, you know, two minutes. And came back in inside and that was your dad. He wants to see you. And I was like, what? Like, oh my God, you want to see me? Me? Yeah. Um, and then... Um, so me and my sister uh, went to go see him like a week later. He came back a week later to come take us out. And i never forget that week was like the longest week ever. I was like so curious. I don't, I don't think I'd actually even seen him at that point. I don't remember what he looked like. We didn't have any pictures. So I got to see him and then like we had this like, he, he basically just was in our 
uh, outside our house. He sat with us for like an hour, just answering questions and said he's going to take us out next week. Um, no, I never saw him again. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Yep. Wow. That's it's a, it's a It's a familiar story. All too familiar story. Uh, he turned up, he cried, but he didn't have it. Yeah. He is now very unwell, and so, from what I understand. And so, I'm trying to find him. Yep. Mm. Uh, I, I think it would be good to get some closure. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. I'd like to know where he was from. Did he have any brothers or sisters? Why he was an arsehole? Any of those things would be really good answers, I think. Might help me with my parenting. Exactly. And, and, and I think for him as well. I think for him as well. I think uh, I think um, myself, I spent a lot more time around my parents than I had planned to when I started uh, doing comedy. So I was kind of still living <laughs> at home, yeah. And uh, I think when I spent the early part of my 30s with my parents, I got to see them for the people they are, not just as, as authoritarians with these job titles of mum and dad. And uh, yep. and by that same extension, it was like now you see into the minds of most people, and uh, you know when you do see like absentee fathers and the like, you can kind of work out the mentality behind it. And uh, you know, I guess if that's the lesson for everybody, is that like just because someone's your dad doesn't or is your biological father doesn't make him your dad necessarily. Uh, you know, it just it's not a given. But um, yeah, it's as far as my dad, like obviously it was present throughout my life. But I feel like because I grew, up, I grew up in an environment where a lot of people didn't have fathers, it was yeah. almost the, the prestige associated that was somewhat diminished. In, that, in terms yeah. of it, it was like, oh, I've got a dad. Well, none of us do. So you're the weird, you're already the anomaly there. So I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, oh, two parents. So you're going to go to the supermarket if you're two parents. Yeah, I get all of that. Yeah. And, and even when people would be like, uh, and it, would, it would transpire that my, my siblings and I had the same dad, they'd be like, your dad? Your, your brothers, your sisters, you've all got the same dad and mum? And I'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, oh my God, that's so rare. And uh, yeah. Is it like a sense of privilege? Is that, well, yeah. Is that what you would like, yeah, a sense of privilege. Not? But even then, I'd always try to make it a point of principle to people. Yeah, enjoying black privilege. Yeah, but I'd, I'd try and play down and be like, well, yeah, but it's like, I, it wasn't really by choice. It's not really anything to do with me. I wasn't here. For, it wasn't like I was the first one here. So <laughs> I can't really control what he does. It was not like, it's not like some kind of lottery or any research I did. But um yeah, I say the thing about my parents in that, like, you know, they are there are some failings they they have and there may be certain things I wish I did differently or, or certain aspects of my upbringing I wish were different. But for the most part, you know, before they were parents, they were people and people can only be people. And uh, for a lot of people, there are, is very little prior practice in having a family until you actually have one. So, Howard, what have you, what have you discovered in your 11 weeks? I have discovered a lot, Marvin. I would say that the default setting of humanity in this period is one of self-absorption. I feel like my life was much more self-obsessed. And now, um, so for example, the boy woke up 
early for his, you know, you do these feeds at like midnight, right? And uh, he woke up early for this feed. And I was, <laughs> I was watching Apocalypse Now. Uh, and I was like, oh, fucking hell, Dylan. Will you just, you know what, mate? I'm just, they're just about to get to the bit with, you know, the, the, the guy in the, in the jungle temple bit. And, and, it, and, it, and I was like, you know, obviously he's not being selfish. I'm being selfish. And it, and it, and it definitely has made me kind of reconsider just how selfish I am and how I don't, yeah, just how self-absorbed I can be, you know? That, and I think that goes for everyone because this, this thing, this person depends on you and, and, and that is massively impactful on your psyche. It's quite tiring. I think that's actually what part of the tiring thing is, is yeah. the mental element of it. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like they're selfish. It sounds like the kids are selfish to me. I mean, <laughs> they, are. They, are. But it, they need to stay alive and they really, really like, know it yeah absolutely and they, mm. they make it a big deal and i suppose i mean and also i think empathy is something you have to teach kids anyway so for most people their drive will be self-gratification because kids are working with like a lizard brain so it's like feed me or i cry and i'll <laughs> won't stop crying until i'm fed yeah i think i i have some clear memories of my dad i remember him take me to cricket so my dad used to play cricket uh quite a decent level before he got a back injury i remember it bringing us down to cricket and uh me being a lot less interested um, I was like, so, and then also like, I remember even asking my dad, "Do we support England or the West Indies?" And the look he gave me, I was like, he's not too happy. I came out of his testicles. <laughs> he was like, his look was like, "Are you what? Are you sure I made you?" Like he was that close to asking paternity test. Um, it's a very good question. It's though. a good question that he expected oh, yeah. me to know the answer to, so, which was definitely West Indies. So. But I, I think that's the thing that like masculinity does. Yeah, it's just it's a whole bunch of assumptions. Yeah, absolutely. It's a whole bunch of, like rather than cultivate your opinion with like a a, a gift and a flag and a like a story about <laughs> yeah. in, like he's just like why don't you know? Yeah, this? exactly. That's the most <laughs> Caribbean thing. I've absolutely. Ever heard. Like, why don't you know this? And uh, you know, and that's a big part of the narrative for uh, parents. But I think uh, there's a real there's a lot of pivotal times in my upbringing that I think about relating to my dad. Like I remember we probably were a lot more at odds when I turned about 15 and was going through adolescence and my environment was kind of changing and felt like I was, at a time, like I was a young adult, but obviously realised I was still a child. Um, and on reflection, I remember, so we, we kind of locked heads then, but on reflection, I remember my dad came to the UK when he was 15 too. So that is when, I guess, his opportunity for interaction with his dad and his closest paternal influence would have ended because his dad stayed in Grenada and he came over here. So I now kind of rationalise, it's like, well, he could only show me up until as much as he knows. So anything, everything yeah. from that age onwards was him kind of winging it. I think in, in our community, though, I think people came here quite young, yeah. very inexperienced. There's like a legacy or sort of that colonial type of parenting. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think there's a whole generation of that. I think men that are like were, were 50s to the 70s here uh, and some of the 80s really struggled with the like adoption and the emotional connection that it was acquired for their kids. And either, even if they are present, there's just a lot of things that we're missing from men. These ideas weren't available. Well, abs absolutely. And, uh, and people have to remember, especially for the diaspora, paternalism is still quite a new concept to us. Because if you yeah, yeah. go back, for, I mean, my great-grandmother, she I remember her telling my... My mother told me that my great-grandmother used to tell her stories about, like, women forcefully giving themselves abortions to avoid their children being born into bondage. So that was, so no. I'd say, we're talking about atrocities and recorded memory, like with the previous question, she remembers women deliberately miscarrying children so their children wouldn't be born as slaves. And what people have to remember is that within a household of chattel slaves, your the patriarch would not have been your father. It would have been your slave master. And so being yeah, able to yeah. delegate tasks or have a patriarchal, patriarchal uh, influence in your household would have been something the descendants of slaves would not have had. So learning yeah. the process of paternalism has either come from historic uh, white paternalistic cues or has been had to be kind of made from scratch. So if you appear to be withdrawn or aloof or distant, it's because you've learned it from somewhere that like your uh, job here is to be provider and to be to emote and to have to emotionally engage with your progeny has never really been something that we'd have, we'd have had for a very long time. Yeah. So I've always kind of given my dad that grace. And my dad is, yeah, he's definitely uh, real, very much a dark horse, like really well read. And despite the fact that like his career has always been in like having menial jobs, he's worked in uh, manufacturing and has worked for the Royal Mail. But to hear him speak and when he talks about politics and stuff, like to him break down politics, his understanding of it, like it makes me and my friends feel like idiots. So he runs rings around us. But um, wow. but yeah, the me the memory I the thing I remember most was once I used to do karate when I was a kid, 
And I remember my dad always mm. come and pick me up. Never to say a word. He'd just come and watch. And again, it wasn't like, I was like, but why, did, why is he not as vocal as the other dads? It was like, well, he's here. And that's kind of his nature anyway. And almost like the face is almost like, you know what will happen if you lose this fight. So, <laughs> so it, was always, it, was always, it was always a really good motivator. But I remember after that, he, um, he was like, oh yeah, I forgot your shoes. So I'm going to have to give you a, a, like a piggyback on the way home. So I, I basically went home on his shoulders. And at first, it, oh, and so that's, the, that's when I remember because it was, it's, that is not a normal paradigm for me and my dad. We're not huggers or, I love you, pop. We're not those people. So when it was on my shoulders, yeah. it was kind of, at first it was like, this is awkward. Do, do you feel like he actually wanted to be that person who just didn't know how? Or did you think he just adamantly didn't even, reg- there wasn't even like a moment of like, huh, there was nothing. Maybe some, I think it's about be just maybe his disposition because like my dad has very few vices and stuff. Like the only thing he does is like go for a drink on a weekend with his friends. But also because of how much he used to work, like he, if he got drunk and come back, that was when he'd be very expressive about his feelings. So, but then because, it was, so it was definitely there, but he just had to have the inhibition being removed. And like I said, it's because I guess, like I said, paternalistically, he's seen men be a lot more stoic and a lot more reserved in terms of how they deal with their children, especially because certain elements of the Caribbean culture where my dad's got lots of half-brothers and sisters, but, you know, my grandfather was very involved in their lives, but at the same time, I suppose there's only so much you can do in terms of attention when you have so many kids. Of course. But, um, it's a lovely memory, no. It's a lovely memory, and uh, I think... I think it's interesting that it's kind of sport, karate. I'd consider. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. So you kind of got it on your shoulders, but... Sport and cricket, you know, those two things kind of facilitate very pertinent memories. I think I think shared interests and kind of shared yeah. passions well, and, and things... Well, we didn't have a lot. We didn't have, we didn't have a lot of shared interests because of my dad. And also, like, I didn't really get any height until I was, like, 17, where my dad's always been, like, mm. six foot plus. So always cut a very right. imposing figure when I was a child. So... And, and has a very big, a much bigger build to be compared to myself. So it was always like, even the approach room, like I remember when my dad used to be like chastising us and telling us off, he wears glasses. So when he bends down, right. you can see your reflection in his glasses. Hmm. And uh, so hmm. you're watching your own fear in your face as he's breaking stuff down. <laughs> and, he's, and, and also my dad is not someone, he never used to be someone that was like prone to like violence and explosive anger and dealing with kids and stuff. Like, and I, and I commend him to this day, like one of the most progressive things I ever saw my dad do when my sister started menstruating, when they, t- when they started their periods, he never laid a hand on them again. And and mm. and because he did not want to introduce, uh, normalize abuse, them having abuse from a man. And I didn't realize mm. how important that was until I was a bit older. He's like, if my sisters are, because they're women, they should not have the, the idea of a man hitting them should not be normalized. And I didn't yeah, realize, yeah. And so, you know, yeah, it was, so I think my dad, considering the upbringing, he was very progressive in a number of ways. Like even things like, you know, there was no point in time where it's like, I can have girls stay over the house and my sisters can't have men stay over the house. So there was mm. never any kind of gender inequality and stuff like that as well. So for all of, for his upbringing and I guess for having, you know, a very quintessential exterior for a first generation Caribbean man, like he was very liberal in a lot of his platitudes and very well read and stuff. But like the thing with the, the karate thing was, was the thing I remember the most. Cause I, cause he, I was so high up. <laughs> and I mean, we're going to, we're going to move on to Dane's question in a sec, but just to, you know, for, for, for the listeners that wonder about this this uh, little journey that I'm uh, on as a dad, it's, it is interesting, you know, having him, my dad, absent. You know, uh, there's times where I might ask his opinion on stuff, and uh, I don't have it. Uh, and uh, I did have one instance this week actually where I was uh, preparing to go to my brother's house to watch the FA Cup final that Arsenal won, and. Uh, as I was driving there, my wife, who is not a particularly ardent football fan, was just kind of questioning, you know, whether this child will want Arsenal in his life. And um, I can understand that for anyone, <laughs> whether they're a child or not. But there are a lot of negative elements that definitely come from uh, from, 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 from from kind of football. But the, the, the positive elements and, and the memories of my father are so ingrained in my heart as what I remember about my dad. I remember being quite young and hearing the whole house shake in 89 when Mickey Thomas scored the winner at Anfield to make it 2-0 and they won the league. But the the bit that will forever stay in my soul and I'll tell people about to the day I die that my... uh, one of my best friends, Jamie, who 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 listens to the pod sometimes, and uh, he he me and him shared a love for Arsenal growing up. Ian Wright was our hero, and and um, he you know had tickets to a game that he couldn't go to, um, and that game turned out to be the game that happened on Sunday, the third of May, nineteen ninety eight, when Arsenal won four 0 
against Everton to clinch the league. And we had, me and my dad, had the single worst seats in Highbury possible. You had to bend over... <laughs> upside down with your head to see the pitch. It, how that ever existed is incredible. But you know what? You know what? I couldn't care. Like It couldn't matter less. Yeah. Em- embraces that me and my dad had when Arsenal went 2-0 up. And then that moment, any Arsenal fan worth their salt knows, where Steve Bold plays a chip through ball to Tony Adams, our iconic captain, who'd overcome so much in his life to get to that point, to suddenly decide to break through to the front line and he volleys it in. And that moment with my dad, man, I'll never forget that feeling. And, uh, and I hope Dylan, my son, gets to experience some good Arsenal times in the future. Uh, Babe, but even if he doesn't, <laughs> even if he doesn't, he understands. He, at least he comes from a culture based in North London that understands historical suffering. So I think he'll be fine. Mm. <laughs> he'll be fine with us. He'll totally get it. He'll get it. He'll get it. Atrocities in living memory, like Marouane Shamak. How did that happen? <laughs> Don, Don Lukic, Pascal Sagan. Listen, I'll tell you something. Jovino gets a lot of abuse. He's done well in Italy, but that's another story for Jovino. another time. Um, yeah, he gets nah. another story for another time. Dane, we, we, we don't want to uh, keep everyone in this heat for too long. We're going to have to throw it over cool. to you for the final question. Well, yeah, that was a really show. good, that was a great question. Uh, and, it followed, and it actually follows mine and uh, Marvin kind of alluded to it. So basically, Marvin, I, yeah, I feel like I'm at that point now while I'm ready. However, in the most historically, most recent relationships over, the, say, the last decade or so, the women I've been with have actually articulated that, in some instances, we can have a family because either over an argument where I raise my voice or uh, just being aloof because I'm so focused on comedy or in conversations with their parents where they feel like I may not be a good father, whether we're together or not. And so where I've come close, these people have decided maybe I'm not daddy material. So I want to know and like I said, talking about stories of my dad, and I don't think I've been that kind of person that has that idea of putting my dad on the pedestal and he's infallible in my eyes. But by the same token, it's more looking over his flaws and his attributes together. That's why I say, you know, probably one of, one of my best friends, one of the coolest men I know, just for who he is. And I think the biggest part of that has been my dad hasn't raised me just to be his son. He's raised me to be a good human being. So mm. in, in terms of their... I do not get the privilege or I don't, he doesn't give me a bias if I act amorally just because I'm his son. Mm. If I do something wrong, it is not acceptable to do it because I'm his son. And so he's always, his, always, his endeavor has always been that you will be a responsible member of society. And it's definitely something I carry in that. I feel like sometimes when people talk about kids, it's as if they're, own, they're their own possession. And mm. not that I have a frame of reference because I don't have any kids, but I feel like we're not parents, we're guardians and we're trying to show what's supposed to be both biologically and I guess semantically a better version of ourselves, how to live better than we did and give them more than we had. So my question is, because I'm so scared that I'm shit and I guess a lot of people are talking that I'm shit, what makes a dope black dad? What's really interesting here is that you're speaking from quite an advanced realm and, and there aren't actually many people walking around who have been able to understand that they are the guardians of a human being and they are not the owners mm-hmm. of. Um, and I think... Maybe some of the, the the virtual cues that women need to hear from you as Dane, you probably wouldn't give mm. because you're at, you're, your understanding is beyond the kind of simplicity of what that's being asked of you. Now, it doesn't explain... You could still be a complete arsehole. We have no idea. Could be. Yeah, could but be. <laughs> what, what I understand, I think you have a very clear understanding of what it is that you want to achieve in fatherhood. But I, I think what you're not doing is correctly selling... Uh-huh the uplift of what that experience would be with you as the father. And I, and I think that's about being extremely intentional about one, where you are, and two, what it is that you are going to impart into this human being that you co-create, but also the fact that you're going to be an incredible partner for that person to do it. I will say marriage and fatherhood is the most horrific and horrendous and offensive thing that you could ever do. Absolutely, You have no... <laughs> chart other than to grow you will not be the same person after getting married and you will not be the same person after having children but what i've realized is is that many of the ideas that i started out with which were very unhealthy and full of ownership and possession are unworkable as a father and as a Mm -hmm. husband and to the point now my expectation is now just like i just want to come home and hang out with my best friend who's my wife and my kids actually love me in the way that i've always wanted to be loved Mm. 
for me, what it is to create the environment where you could even become a dad is about intention. Okay. And what we call dope is really about the openness to grow, which I think you already have. It's not a permanent, I've landed at dope land and, I, and now I'm the I master. I think so, yeah, I agree. It, I get that because I think we spoke about it on the podcast as well. The last person I was in a long-term relationship with a couple of years ago, one of the reasons she gave for breaking up with me and uh, we had had a previous instance of a pregnancy scare and stuff and she was like, I can't be with you because you're always putting your career first. And for me, I, I didn't even say it at the time because I was still taking it up, but I was like, but this is who I'm doing this for. I, I would like, because I, I, like I said, I'm under the impression whereby, you know, to your kids, you're supposed to be like a superhero. And like I never, like I said, I never had any uh, delusions about who my dad was or where he worked, but it was just, like I said, number one, the fact that he was there compared to a lot of people in the community whose dads weren't there. That was number one. And, uh, you know, I just felt like he definitely had it together. And so for me, it was like all my endeavors and all these folks on careers and stuff like that is because I was like, well, what legacy am I giving to our children? So I wasn't able to say it to my girlfriend at the time, but I'm like, you know, I imagine it's a real difficult, uh, I guess, conversation to have with children whereby you talk about their goals and you have ideas of, and goals you project onto your kids. But I imagine that's the case for most people that are born to loving parents that work in jobs they may not necessarily enjoy. At some point, they have to realize, have a certain level of maturity where they are more realistic about, like, I guess, their professional aspirations, right? But I, I would say, I would say that you're not, you're not doing it for them. Mm. You've got to own you're doing it yeah, for you. Yeah, of course, you. yeah, yeah. And the way that you go about doing it for you is that I need to have particular parts of my week, month, year where I am dedicated because I'm writing a mm -hmm. sitcom. And in that, I'm going to make sure I bake in a fixed amount of time for us to do, which I will not break for anything. And that's why I say, but I don't think your intentions are wrong or your approach is wrong. I think you're just not communicating mm -hmm. what it is that you're actually going to create. And I think, again, this is a thing where, like, these, these kind of cerebral type, you know, they, these thinkers mm -hmm. live in their heads. Yeah. And it's a thing that got me into a lot of trouble. So I have to make sure everything I do, I say out loud to my wife and enroll her into it rather than like in my head, I know what I'm doing. I've mapped it out. If I say this, this person's going to say that. It's, it can't, you can't live in your head like that. And I think, especially with women as well, they, they respond to a completely different freak. It's not really women. It's actually about masculine and feminine. Yeah, feminine. Exactly, but yeah, yeah. those two energies, yes. the way they interact is different. And so at times you've got to be mindful that you're just not always thinking what the best thing to yeah, be is point. like I'm you know, some people say like oh, I'm you know I'm, I'm telling you the truth but the truth is toxic and unhealthy and triggers them it's like yeah but that's not loving exactly. is it Abs that's, that's absolutely, not absolutely yeah time. absolutely yeah it, it's, it's in the truth but yeah, yeah you have to be more deft about it and you know it's again it's like I, I completely agree with you and it's a very astute observation of myself but I'd say to you I kind of get that from my dad because like I said I never I mean there's been more instances now where I've seen him be quite emotional and like you know my dad's dealt with some real tragedies like he lost his best friend like he lost uh, one of my uncles passed away 10 years ago and my dad was so overcome with the trauma and I think a lot of the time he repressed it that it got to a point where he was almost having panic attacks because he has learned uh, transgenerationally to internalize this grief and trauma so I've more recently now tried to observe a dialogue where I can say to my dad look like Yes, you're married to my mother, but you're also a man that's in a marriage and it's going to be difficult and frustrating. And I want you to be able to emote that because I can detach the idea that, but that's my mom you're talking about there, whereby if you're frustrated and you're stressed and there's difficulty in communication, you have someone to speak to that can listen to that objectively. So I've, I've, just, I've tried to amend that by principle because, like I said, my dad was never bad or ignorant or negligent, but just because he always had it together, I've always had that complex where I'm just like, my dad never used to panic or worry about like how can he how can he feed us and never used to worry about bills and stuff and he was never short of money and even like if my dad denied me something that I wanted it wasn't because he was spending extravagantly himself like I always remember like my dad yeah. he because uh, obviously I always wanted to be a comedian and I'd always be like and there's a film with Adam Sandler when he says that you know uh, funny people where he says a large part of my race and debtor is that I just wanted to make my dad laugh because he never used to laugh at anything and I think it's very similar is that like never had a bad relationship with my dad but awesome was very stoic very focused very intellectual and very measured and, and, and meticulous in all of his actions so my outlet was always comedy where i could act a fool outside of the home because i wouldn't act stupid in my house and would barely raise my voice and i think like i said my dad's stature was so intimidating i think that's how i developed a mumble and stuff because he had a deep voice and mine's were so high pitched and so i just yeah always tried to be like i was i was act out outside the house because that's when i could be more of a jovial and be more of a clown and then it would change when i was home again and 
I'd be a lot more uh, loquacious and a lot more intelligent when I speak to people and or adults and stuff. And that's a learned behavior. But it was just a, like, he never used to mess stuff up. And I'm like, I mess up shit all the fucking time. How? I know, but that the, the thing is, yeah, it's about presentation. And so the part of like him being stoic, which is retaining a lot of information away from you and protecting the perception mm. he has, is a part of the problem. So the reason why he has that is because he didn't communicate in depth what the things that were going through, the workings. He never showed the yeah. workings. So I always made it out as if he arrived. Yes, exactly. Developed a- never, never, never missed, like, never missed. Like, like my dad's never missed a bill, Marvin. He's never had an overdraft. He's never had any. Like he doesn't even get letters through for like credit cards or anything like that. Like, ne- never. I know. I know. The thing is that is like the joy that you have from comedy. He may never have have ever filled that, and he he will have an, an amazing joy of being a husband and a father, um, and doing many his friends that he has from his weekly mm-hmm. routine. There is a type of joy that you get as a man where you focus on your purpose above everyone else, including yeah. your kids. And so Joe Black is my purpose. And so that's that's my journey. It's my gift. It's something that is higher than anything else or anyone else. Um, and in doing that, I create as much space for my family as possible. Yeah. But this is my gift. You're in your gift now. And I feel like if you asked him, he probably has never really experienced it to the full potential. Yeah, and so there true. might be... That, that gap and I, and I wouldn't I wouldn't swap and, yeah. I, and so I think the story you have about your dad is, is a nice memory but I guarantee you if you unpicked it it probably would be 50% of what you understood and it actually would be more similar to you than you probably yeah, have I, I imagine yeah and I, and I probably see a lot more parallels between myself and him as I've gotten older like my mum said in terms of like when I argue I'll get my dad like he doesn't really argue emotionally he's very good at presenting an argument or an inquiry with the sensibility of a lawyer so like I remember me and my friends went to this under-18s rave called Chillin' in Brixton, and we got back home late. So my curfew used to be midnight, which again was super frustrating. And I'd be like, why is it all my friends can stay out until after midnight and I have to be at home? And again, he was like, the reason why is because in the eyes of the law, you are a child until you are 18. When you are 18, I will lift this curfew, but while I am responsible for you as your guardian, you have to adhere by these rules. Because if you commit a crime or you do something, it is I who is liable. And again, I'm like, do you know what? I completely understand that. Completely understand that. And, uh, but I remember when we got home late, I'd be like, he's like, why are you late? And he, and again, he would get emotionally like, what, what, what time do you call this? He's like, why are you late? And you're like, oh, the bus, bus is late. So he's like, cool, the P4. That's the bus that runs from Bridgeston Solution. So let's look at how often that comes and then how long that trip takes and how many phone boxes you pass on the way there. And when you get to Lucian High Street, there's a phone box outside of McDonald's. There's a phone box over here. Why didn't you call? And he's very good at continuing to dissect you. And it's almost as if you just crumble like, I lied. It was my fault. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. And I think I've... There was a girl. Yeah, all of that stuff, yeah. But, so, so, exactly. And he gets, he gets all of that stuff. And I think now there's a relationship I have now where I think I mimic that same thing in relationships where if someone maybe gives an emotional response to something or something that I don't necessarily understand or I don't think is a sufficient answer, I tend to probe it a lot more. And I think a lot of people interpret that as me trying to break them down when really I'm just trying to, mm-hmm. as my dad says, it's like we're talking about the crime and not the criminal. But a lot of people see that as, as, as a personal attack. But yeah, you're, you're right about the whole... But my thing was, the reason why I like, like I said, this is my gift and, you know, comedy is important to me as a child. I mean, I don't have a frame of reference, but to me, what I'm creating is like my children. Like I care about this deeply and I want to do the best for it. But... I would see it as if my whole thing was when family was concerned is that when I have kids that I can honestly say to them for them to chase their dreams and, you know, to experience a gift of their own and to, you know, if they have a calling, they can entertain that calling because I wanted to lead that by example. So that was a big part of my motivation and maybe why I didn't have kids at first. I'll I'll take one more thing, Ian, is that one thing that I realised in my life is that being right reduces affinity. Ah, okay. Significant. And so there, there is this thing of like, like we know you're lying, and I, and I, I know you're lying, and I know I'll always know when my mm. son is lying. But I, by, by me drilling him down to make sure that he knows that I'm right, it keeps him under my mm. thumb. It keeps him as a child, even as a grown person, he will become a child because he no, he doesn't ever feel confident that he can take me. So basically, at some point, maybe when he's about fourteen, I'm just gonna let him nutmeg yeah. me. I'm gonna let. Madness! I'm going to let him like arm wrestle me to the ground and just release him from the idea that he has about me. Because right now I pick him up and I just hold him yeah, in the yeah. air like this. And there's one hand, I spin him around and then I throw him down in some wrestling move. And he's like, "Oh, dad!" And then one day, I'll probably still be able to do it. It'll hurt, but then that day when it, when it's like to transition out, I've got to accept him and free yeah. him of that. And I think too often we live under the thumb, especially our fathers specifically. Mothers yeah, yeah. are slightly different. 
But the, the, we did an episode on BBC, which was about symbolically killing your parents. Um, and it, it didn't go down well because they didn't like the, the notion of it. But the point was, is that the version of an adult you have in your head keeps you small as an adult. And so the, the whole point was is that they either had to release you intentionally, which is like letting yeah. you not make them, or you have to kill them off. You can't make your dad mean that much because you're going to take that into wherever you're going. And that may not be yeah. workable. That woman may not want to marry your dad. That woman may not want to be living under that framework. And actually, at that point, it, by just loving you, would have let you know that actually he sees you, he knows you're full of shit, but here's a hug. And that hug is something that I'm trying yeah. to introduce rather than the being right, the kind of drilling down, because, you know, it happened in my marriage as well, man. Like, you know, my wife's amazing, but I'm one of those people that just doesn't like to lose. Yeah, me so either. I was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, like, like playing for our future, and she's just like, "All right, mom, Jesus, I, I just had a thought." <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but let me tell you, that brings us full circle from where this episode begun, talking about the divisions in our societies and our mm. co- our communities. That just give a bit of humanity, a bit of empathy, yeah. isn't it? That's what yeah. people need more and more of. Show the love, right? Like it, 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 often when you try and offer people advice or opinion or negative constructive views on something they've done, it comes with a side of making that person feel shit about themselves. And sometimes yeah. that can be the case, especially when if it comes from your parents. But I think that my dad always, I think, yeah, in the end, it, as I said, it got remedied by the fact, like I said, I stayed home longer than I planned to. And so by able to be able to see my parents for people and not just my parents that allowed for that symbolic killing of them and just seeing them as people. So, you know, if there are times where my dad, I don't agree with him. I do feel like I might feel chastised, but the brother could have just had a bad day in it. And sometimes it's like, you know, you trying to be a dope mm. black dad in a racist world, man, that's stress. I always try and take that into account in terms of their psyche and how they address myself. But um, now that's very helpful, man. I appreciate that, Marvin. What an amazing episode that has been in this heat. In this heat as well, guys. I mean, imagine what we do in... Cool conversation in, in, in blistering heat, I think, is a lot of progress. Um, but the, the eloquence of some of the uh, conversation, I hope our listeners enjoy it and try and bring some of the... Bring love in conflict. <laughs> Find the way to, to share a bond with someone you might not agree every, you know, percentage with. Uh, and it applies to so many things. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, Marvin, um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, genuinely, thank you for putting money in my hand when I first started in this game, man. I don't forget it. It means a lot, man. And uh, I appreciate you seeing the vision when even some people very close to me did it. Bro, you were brilliant. I'm so, I like, one of the things, one of the proudest things I've ever done is to be able to see who you were really early. And I don't know what that was, but there's a bunch of people and, and you're one of the proudest things to come from that show thank so you man thank you. and uh, shout out Napa as well <laughs> uh, Marvin uh, where can more people find you and find out about your good works as a community leader uh, so you can find uh, basically if you're black go to dope black and men women mums or dads and follow them because they've got their own groups with their own journey me specifically I'm Marvin underscore Harrison or at Marvin Harrison one word on Instagram um, I need new friends on Instagram. I've got to find lit things to post. I don't I don't have... I just said lit, by the way, guys. Cool that, cool that. Hashtag cool that. Hey. Those are great finger signs. I'm not sure what they mean, but... Hey. Hashtag, 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 hashtag. hashtag. You'll learn. You'll learn when Dylan's old enough to tell you. You'll learn. Listen, Howard will be TikTok dancing in about six I can see it. time. I can see <laughs> it. In matching what Arsenal happened? shirts. Yeah, but, in, in, in matching Arsenal shirts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, cool cool love you people need to check out what you're up to Marvin I think uh, hopefully there's listeners out there whether you know it it relates to them in a distant way you know obviously I know it's a a community focused thing but it relates to everyone absolutely it's excellent man absolutely we have some uh, listen there's so many emotional stuff we get sent I'll tell you this another time we get some emotional stuff from people who discover a lot from outside of our race by listening to our podcast because no one really has these has to have these types of conversation in depth so it's quite nice for people to hear so, it is um, infinitely important man and I say Marvin you're doing a wonderful thing man and I think in uh, generations to come uh, the, the brainchild of this whole movement will uh, only bode uh, positively for our community as a whole so uh, on behalf of the community and, and even someone who had the pleasure and privilege of growing up without a dad I very much appreciate what you do and I admire you for it you're a good dad and I Thank appreciate you, you sir oh. 
So I'm learning. Learn it. Learn it. Emote. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. That was. That was. That more was emotion. It. More emotion. You'll get it. Don't get naked. Get <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Marvin. Brother. Thanks for coming on the show, you, Marvin. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Marvin Harrison. You can follow Marvin on Twitter at Marvin underscore Harrison and go and check out Dope Black Dads on all social media platforms. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Decode. You can follow D on Twitter and Instagram at Official Decode. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.